Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with Bruce Guevara, professor as in second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and owner instructor at B1 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Aurora. Bruce will share with us how watching success of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in early UFC tournaments sparked a curiosity in this martial art. His participation led to success on the mat and his entrepreneurial spirit led to opening his own successful and ever-growing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school. Be sure to check out the episode page for links to B1 Jiu-Jitsu and follow B1 Jiu-Jitsu on Facebook and Instagram to learn about other offerings like this Friday's Family Safe Classes. Joining us from the class of 2006 is Bruce Guevara. Bruce, tell us what you do. Hey, guys. Uh, happy to be here today. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Brian. So uh, what I do is I teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So to most of us, we know it as a martial art. When, when did you first get the, the bug for mixed martial arts and, uh, and maybe in particular Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Uh, so I had uh, I was one of the groups um, in '93 when the first UFC came on pay per view. I watched it with with my dad at home because it was something new. He was really into boxing at the time, so we just happened to catch to catch it on pay per view at that time. Um, and then from there, it just kind of sparked some interest in me. Um, and I, I was, you know, being a '90s kid, I was into the you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Power Rangers, all these you know, cartoon shows that we'd watch after school. So I always wanted to, at first, I always wanted to do karate. So I, would, I would ask my parents, hey, can we do karate? Can I do karate? Um, but at that time, they just didn't have the financial means to, 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 get, to get me going in lessons and whatnot. So then in uh, my senior year in high school, one of, my, one of our coaches there, uh, Pete Martino, was like, hey, man, what are you, you going to do after... Um, after high school, and I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna go to college." At that time, I was I had my sights set on on becoming an engineer, and he's like, "That's good and all." He's like, "What are you gonna do for yourself?" And uh, it got me thinking. I'm like, "Well, you know, I had many attempts at wanting to get involved with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and uh, never really pulled the trigger on it. Just kind of said, "Hey, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. Next week turned into next month, and then it was my senior year in high school, and." Uh, I wanted something where I could be involved um, from a uh, from a competitive standpoint, and I'm like, well, you know, jujitsu seems to have all that. Not only can it keep me in shape, but you know, I had friends that had that had started about the same time, and they're like, yeah, man, you know, in a couple months we'll be able to do our first tournament, you know, and they were really excited for it. So they're like, you should come check it out with us. So I did. I tagged along, and at that time it was um, 
you know, there was no jujitsu really in the area. So it was a, um, a purple belt that trained up north that he happened to live nearby. And he started teaching us a couple of classes and it kind of escalated from there. I was getting ready to graduate. So that summer, I pretty much just spent morning and evening training um, and going into college. I was like, hey, you need to, you know, you need to get, you need to seek somebody that, that, uh, that does this full time to really gain, gain some leverage and get, get the ball rolling. So um, what really got me hooked is that, you know, just the work ethic that I taught me. I took that into my college courses and just helped in re, you know, reality that's what helped me get, get through college was, um, was using jujitsu as a vessel that, Hey, if I can, if I can excel here, putting this amount of effort in, if I do that into other important things in my life, um, you know, I might get similar results. I love that. Could you maybe follow up on that? Like, what are those lessons that are transferable from, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu into those other components of like discipline and focus uh, and all that. So it just, it taught me a few things. I mean, one of the most, the ones that even stands out to this day is just the, the impact of consistency. So just, you know, on the days that you don't feel like showing up, on the days where you, maybe you feel under, you know, you're feeling a little tired, you're feeling, you're upset with a family member. Um, you know, kind of being able to put all that aside, essentially putting the excuses aside and showing up regardless and seeing, you know, the compounding effect that that has. Um, and for me, like I said, that I was, you know, through high school, one of the biggest challenges I had was just staying organized and, you know, in part staying focused uh, because there were so many distractions around us. Um, so kind of being able to put into perspective what's a priority versus what's not you know, jujitsu kind of did that for, for me because even even in, on the mat, you know, being able to, to know your weak, your strengths and weaknesses, being able to know your strengths and weaknesses when the when your opponent or your partner changes was very important. So um, I think with different stages in my life, being my high school career, my college career, and then post-college, knowing, you know, what was changing and what I had control of versus what I didn't. Um, and, I, and I think, like I said, even to this day, I, I use I use a lot of the the, the lessons that, that I learned on the mat. Um, but just being in those situations where, you know, it's just me and my, and my training partner. It's up to me to to be able to see, hey, you know, can I breathe? Does it hurt? If I can breathe and it doesn't hurt, then I can find space to escape. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like how I look at it in, in, in life. Like, you know, when you have a tough situation in front of you. Um, you know, knowing how to navigate through that through that problem and, and keep keeping that confidence that you know bad times come and go, so we can definitely get through this, right? That that's such a great metaphor. <laughs> what you just said there. <laughs> can I breathe? Can I move? Then I can. Uh, that's great. That's that is so applicable to so many things. I love that. When did you know that you were ready to make the leap to actually compete? Because uh, I would imagine like the success there probably really gave you more of the confidence to continue to the point where you're like, I think I can teach this and have my own Brazilian uh, school myself. Um, what was that your first competition like? And, 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 and how did that kind of uh, grow and prosper from that? So when I first, so I competed, I trained for six months. And then uh, at that time there was like this, like the jujitsu scene out here was so small. 
um, that it was funny, a karate studio was actually holding a grappling tournament. So, um, you know, and even these karate instructors didn't really understand how the, uh, how the rule set of a grappling tournament is. Um, but they wanted, I think they just wanted to kind of get their bite of the pie and see if, it, you know, if they could, they could prosper from it. But um, so I trained for six months and I made sure that I was training four to five days at that time. I still wasn't training twice a day, but I was training at least minimum of five days a week. And I could do it. I mean, I think, you know, that time I just turned 18. Um, so my schedule was fairly open. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, I even quit my job. I was working at a, at a dealership as a loop tech and I quit my job to, uh, to be able to sneak in a few more days of training. Um, but then when I did my first tournament, uh, I was very confident going into it just because I known that, hey, man, I had, I had worked really hard and, and so on and so forth. And the, the, the weight class was like 150 pounds to 170. So it was, you know, that's, that's above average. Having a 20-pound weight gap um, is not very, very common. Um, <clears throat> but um, so I was the smallest guy in our weight class, and I went on. I won my first two matches. And then uh, I lost one. I was it was a round it was a double elimination, so I was able to fight back to the winning bracket uh, from the losers bracket. But then I ended up so I beat the next guy, and then I ended up losing to the same guy I lost the first time. Um, and it was just solely because man, I was getting a little too overconfident, took this guy uh, for granted. So it was a rough start. Didn't medal that time. Um, I think I, I did one more tournament after that, and I won a few matches, got a third place. So, I mean, I, you know, one thing I, and I share this with my students all the time, um, you know, I really took about three tournaments to really get my feet wet and get comfortable because just the, just being able to walk up to the mat area or the staging area before you, you, before you enter the competition mat is practice in itself, you know, kind of knowing how to deal with the, the adrenaline dump, um, you know, the stress of, of the tournament, how, how to battle you know, your mind, because when you look across, <clears throat> you know, the grappling mat and you see your opponent, your mind makes it seem like this guy is the biggest person in the world. And they seem, you know, super, you know, super athletic and fast. And you're like, oh, man, how am I supposed to keep up with this guy? So it's kind of like battling those, those those little demons that that show up on, on you know, competition day and, and being able to maneuver through that. And, you know, essentially you do it enough time, it's, it becomes it becomes almost uh, second nature and something that you can, that you can, you know, maneuver through a lot easier. I, I would imagine that trust and communication are really important when you're on the mat with who you are sparring against and competing against. Cause like you said, like I have to know that, Hey, when I'm in a moment where I'm going to tap out or I'm, you know, whatever it may be that you're going to keep me safe and when you have that degree of of trust, does that in any way kind of take away fear in some ways while you're when you're on the mat? I, I was wondering if you could maybe comment yeah. on that kind of very yeah. interesting dynamic psychologically that happens on the mat. Because if I can trust this person, then I'm not afraid. I can just compete and worry about my technique. But if I, I I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that this person is going to snap my uh, my ankle because I, I, ironically, the more maybe this is true. Ironically sparring against someone who's younger than you or less experienced might be more dangerous than sparring with someone who's more advanced than you. Is that, does that make sense? Or is that? Yeah, that's a, that's hundred percent correct. I mean, yeah, I've been going from like, let's say like from the beginner's experience, the white belt, right. Cause this is something that I deal with 
on a daily basis um, with my students is is kind of getting that across. So one of the kind of like the it is a martial art at the end of the day. So there kind of there is that mutual respect with the majority of of the practitioners um, that you will take care of each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I make it, you know, I make this announcement daily in every single one of my classes. Take care of your training partners. You know, they're the most important. They're essentially the most important person on the mat. Um, you know, because without them, you know, we can't train. And and yeah, and then you know, being the combat aspect of it, like you know, you have to respect this person the same way that that they're going to respect you because if you are in a chokehold, you are trusting that this person releases the choke as soon as you tap. Um, in a competition setting, I mean, you know, these guys do go for broke, but you know, luckily you have a referee there to break things up. And, you know, very, very, very few times, very far in between out of, you know, the hundreds of tournaments that I've attended, have I seen something escalator go overboard? But that's typically uh, because, you know, there's some there's some background story to that between, you know, between those competitors yeah, and, yeah. you know, but you don't see it. Luckily, you don't see it too often because that is one thing. I mean, one thing that I stress a lot to our, to our beginners is the, you know, we, even in the academy, we have rules set in place to keep the environment safe, right? Because if it's something that is, that is not safe, uh, people are going to do it. Just like, you know, people, you know, when, when the car was first introduced, a lot of people didn't want to drive the car because of the lack of rules and regulations, right? But, you know, with stoplights, stop signs, you know, rules of the road, you know, almost everybody nowadays that's, that's able to have a license is, is comfortable, you know, uh, getting behind a, getting behind a car. So uh, well, that's, that, that's, a, that's a great, that's a great uh, analogy you make there is like, if you put the various different safety constraints, you can feel yep. free to kind of, you know, like you said, get to where you need to go. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's not even, it's not really our training partners that, that is the concern when it comes to safety. It's ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so knowing our limits, checking our ego, you know, because, you know, how oftentimes do people, you know, I've, I've talked to some, some guys and, uh, you know, there's there's a myth out there. People feel like, hey, even though this isn't something I've ever done, they feel like, hey, I can I can survive this. I can last, you know, I can I can hold out if somebody's, you know, got their arms wrapped around my neck. And, you know, it doesn't matter how tough you are, how many weights you can lift, like, you know, once the blood flow stops. You know, it's like it's only a matter of time that you'll, you know, that you're going to take a nap. You mentioned that you loved watching the uh, the old UFCs, and I'm guessing that you were a big fan of obviously the Gracie family. And yep. I remember, like, I, I used to watch it as well. And you know, uh, Vitor Belfort watching mm-hmm. uh, the type of uh, the evolution of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So that captured your imagination. Did you sample any other ones? Did you try like maybe I will do karate, maybe I'll try taekwondo or judo? Was yeah. There, did you have any kind of sampling of others before you're like, no, this is the, this is this is it? How did you know yeah. this is the one well, that you fell in love with? Yeah, I mean, before I, I wanted because of the uniform. Um, like I said, I wanted to do karate when I was a kid. So this was probably like my first, second grade kindergarten. Um, we didn't have the means for it, and then I just kind of went to the wayside. You know. Uh, Shortly after that, um, you know, I started into the traditional sports. Um, you know, my parents signed me up for for soccer, and then um, you know, so I, you know, throughout like you know my early my early childhood days, that's kind of what was what I would just focus on. And I'm I'm one of those I have that personality. Like once I get hooked on to something, like I do it until they tell me like, hey, you can't come back anymore, right? So I just kind of had like that no quit attitude. Um, 
and and that's kind of how it's funny. It's like that went from I went to soccer, and then that started to get it. Like I I wanted the contact in a way, right? Which soccer, you know, if you've played before, you know, it's not really, the, you know, that's not really the name of the game. Um, and uh, so I, I like to be physical. And from there, so I, I started playing football, but I was undersized for football. And that's when I'm like, man, jujitsu is the right mix. Um, because, you know, not only was I able to go against training partners about my size, but I could go against, I can, again, I can compete and I have, you can compete against, you know, about a bigger, larger opponents. And though, I mean, that's when it really means something because I mean, you, you know, being just being able to beat somebody 50, hundred pounds heavier than you, you know, the whole arena is on your side, <laughs> you know, being on the podium when you'd be the smallest guy on the podium, like, you know, is a very rewarding feeling. And it gives a lot of, a lot of, you know, I give a lot of kudos to the power of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and what it can do for somebody that's the smaller undersized. Uh, but no, I mean, like I said, I, I I like the idea of it. I'm glad I, you know, my from my personal experience, I'm glad I didn't. Um, only because, you know, I have many students now that are Taekwondo black belts, karate black belts. Some of them even train into their teen or, or adult years. And when they experience jujitsu, they're like, they're like, what have I been doing with, with my life? Just because, you know, the dominance that jujitsu has, um, you know, a lot of these guys, they said the same thing. They're like, man, I wish I would have, I would have come over to this sooner and whatnot. But, you know, just is not for everybody, but, you know, it, it definitely will have an impact on you versus the traditional martial arts, in my opinion, it's depending on what your goals are. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, you mentioned something there and it made me think about, is there a, is there an either a type of, what's the most complimentary cross-training mixed martial or martial art that would go like if you really wanted to go fully balanced uh, martial artist you obviously you're in the uh, brazilian Mm jiu-jitsu but if you would have felt like if there's something to kind of counterbalance that what what what's the other one that you would like say like to be a complete martial artist what what's the other one that would probably uh complete that uh yeah so to be so like for example like if today like we were playing you know the ufc ufc 4 the ufc video game right Mm -hmm. um and we're let's say we're putting together the perfect fighter i would say it would have to be if you look at the UFC champions now the majority of them even throughout history the majority majority of them are jujitsu black belts so that that is a key component just knowing the offense and the defense of submissions but alongside with that um you know guys that, that that cross over with wrestling skills do very well become very successful um judo practitioners pretty much anything that can get the fight to the ground or where you want it to go but past that um uh, i'm a big fan of uh, muay thai yeah because it's it's called the art of eight limbs because you're using your elbows your knees you know your feet and your and your fists to defend plus it also does have takedowns so um, you know, throughout the years, you've seen that those type of practitioners uh, are usually very successful in mixed martial arts, which, in my opinion, you know, that, that's what mixed martial arts originally was was to pin different styles against each other and see who who could overcome. Um, and throughout the year, you've seen how those different uh, martial arts, those different combat sports, have kind of gelled and morphed into into the the you know. The, the MMA fighter of 2023, which is a is a is almost a hybrid 
Yeah. Um, you know, to be top, to be champion, you need to have a good balance of not only ground techniques and, and whatnot, but you also have to be, um, you know, you also have to be a threat uh, from, from the standing position. <laughs> At some point, you know, you thought, I think I can do this full time, like as a teacher, what was your first kind of leap into thinking, I'm going to open up my own school? And what was the process of kind of getting your ducks in order to, to get that, get that going and, and knowing where you were going to open it and all the other type of ideas and concerns that go into creating your own Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu school? So throughout the years, probably when I was a purple belt, you know, I, I had um, some more, some more experienced guys that they're like, Hey, um, you know, they, they kind of down the idea on me because they saw how committed I was to it. Hey, we should, you know, and the thing is like at that time when I first, you know, when I was a pro belt in jiu-jitsu, like there was, it was just period, like flat out, there was just a lack of schools uh, where people could train. So that way, that's why people would go into other sports or other martial arts because you couldn't, you know, unless, unless you had the availability and your schedule to make it like a three to four hour commitment because of the commute and then the time that you would spend there training, no. there wasn't a lot of places to go. So, um, so people, you know, other training partners would say, Hey man, we, you know, we should do this, you know, between us, you know, we can, you know, we can, we can balance it out and, and, you know, be able to provide the service, you know, to our area. Um, but I still, you know, even at that point, I'm like, no, I'm like, if I, if I were to commit to, to, to being a teacher, essentially one, I'm like, even though I was training twice a day, six days a week, um, sometimes even Sunday, but Sunday would typically be my off day. Um, you know, I still wanted to further my skills because I'm like, in the back of my mind, it's just like anything else. The more you invest in yourself, the more you're able to get out of it. And, um, you know, what I mean by that is like, I wanted to be able to compete against the top guys in my weight class. And for a while, it was paying off because even at, at the purple belt level, which is kind of the midway in jiu-jitsu, that's when I got into my first full-time job so out of college. Um, I was able to get my first full-time job, but uh, when that when that competition competition season ended, I, I was able to get. Um, I was in the I was ranked number four um, in my weight class against all the other purple belts wow. um, that were competing. So like there was a chance there, um, and even you know when I started working full time, my coach pulled me out to the side and he's like, "Man, you're right there with the best guys." Like you just, you know, I just got to keep, keep at it. And, and he would always be bugging me. Hey, is there any, you know, is there any wiggle room in your schedule? Can you get to this session? Can you get to that session? So a little mix of, you know, people you know, in my year, like, Hey, you should do this. Plus my instructor saying, Hey, then, you know, even though you are working full time, just, you know, find a way to focus a little bit more on training. Um, and, um, you know, I, I would also, you know, throughout that time, I would, I would cover classes and I would get a lot of positive feedback from the from the from the, the students, and uh, and I had you know and, and I've I've taught I've learned taught alongside you know many different personalities and um, you know I'd see some instructors get frustrated with people and, and so on and so forth and I never I never felt that way and I was like I always loved catering towards beginners like I love to you know to me teaching a beginner is like an alien just came and you know, I have this exciting, cool martial art that I can show you. And I just want to teach you the bare bones and the foundation and have you, you know, you know, assist you in developing the rest of your, of your technique and whatnot. So I think that's what made me strong as an instructor, just, you know, understanding what a new person was going through. Um, and then, uh, you know, when I was working my full-time job, like I said, 
jujitsu, I've always looked at as kind of a vessel to kind of help me, you know, get, you know, overcome challenges and whatnot. So I was working in a fitness, I was working in the fitness industry. I was managing uh, from the uh, customer service, member services side. And my clubs were always, you know, doing excellent. Uh, you know, I was, I had a staff of 30 plus people and, um, you know, I was able to, you know, to train these people up to be very successful in their roles. And eventually, you know, I started becoming like, it's something that I, that I felt very comfortable doing. So when it started, when it started not being so much of a challenge, I was like, all right, I need to take on a new challenge. And, um, lucky for me, like I, growing up, my, you know, my, my closest family were, were, they were entrepreneurs, business owners themselves. So that kind of gave me the confidence, like, Hey, if they can do it, yeah, you know, I definitely have some good mentorship and, you know, it just I knew that if they could do it, I could do it just because it's like these are the people that essentially were trying to set me up for success. So I'm like, you know, a lot of the skill sets that they have, you know, they've been been implementing it to me for years. Why not? But I mean, it was still a shot in the dark um, about when I got my brown belt. So it was the belt right before black belt. I found a tiny it just happened that that me and my buddy on, on the way to breakfast one morning, we stopped in and um and we called the number and somebody came on and showed me the location. It was in Warrenville, uh, right across the street from uh, the Dairy Queen, right off of Route 59. And it was a small little 1,200 square, square foot area. Um, and it was like 35, 40 minutes away from my, from my academy. So I asked my instructor, I was like, hey, you know, because he had, he had also been talking to me about opening up a, a, an academy. And I'm like, hey, is, does this work for you? You know, is this all right? And he's like, let me check it out. So he checked it out. And he's like, oh, man, it's great. You know, it looks perfect. Um, so with his blessing, I was, I kind of, you know, took on the challenge. And I was so nervous at first that for the first month after I had signed the lease, I didn't open the door. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I, I was so nervous that nobody was going to show up. So I was still working at my full-time job. So um, I kind Bruce, of- what years are we talking about here? Like uh, what, where? 2014. Okay. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, I had the keys in like March of 2014. I didn't, I didn't at the time I had no, I didn't open. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, in the back of my mind, I don't know what I was, if I was dragging my feet or I was quote unquote, you know, organizing, making sure that, that, that things were, were proper for opening day. Um, and so, you know, finally one day we just made the announcement, Hey, we're going to open up on this day. And, um, you know, some teammates came by and, and, and supported, took some pictures, so on and so forth. But it was a rough start, man. I would say for the first for the first couple months, it was, you know, I, you know, there was evenings where we were teaching one or two people and it was it was a little disheartening, but I knew it was part of the process and just kind of had faith and, you know, just stay consistent. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, a push came to shove. I'm like, hey, man, if this is going to be successful like i need to quit my full-time job and, and take this on so about six months six months into it um you know i was excited still um quitting my job kind of gave me like that new resurgence of energy and enthusiasm and uh, you know when i committed to my art 100 percent and had 100 percent conviction it's like you know something something out there i don't know what i don't know what happened what went off but people then started showing up and, uh, you know, the rest is history. We just, you know, classes of six people turn into classes of 12. 
turned into classes of 24 people, turned into more kids wanting to, you know, more parents bringing in their children. And, so cool. Um, you know, now so are, you, are you still at the same are you still at the same uh location or did you did no you... We, we've we've grown we've moved since uh so my first location like i said was a was a measly 1200 square feet so i mean you know the average house is bigger than that yeah. <laughs> nowadays um so to fit in a whole a whole uh business into it was 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 good it was it was a great start but it was eventually we did plateau there um and then uh we moved down the street into naperville um, and you know, that was really cool. Cause it just kind of gave, um, it, it was, it kind of refreshed everything again, a new challenge. And, uh, that time we tripled, we know we, we about tripled our, um, our, our uh, training area. Cause my first location, like the, you know, the entire place from front to back was the size of my second mat area or my, my new mat area, excuse me. Um, but, uh, but looking at it, like, man, I was like, I was nervous. I'm like, how are we going to fill up? How am I going to fill this place up? But. Uh, what was cool is with the bigger space, we were able to get a little bit more creative with marketing and reaching out to people. And along the way, um, one thing that that I learned was just, you know, how, you know, the, I learned who needed my service, right? It wasn't just the former martial artist that wanted to try something new. It wasn't the average MMA fan. Um, you know, my academy is very family oriented. Um, and actually this Friday, we're going to be hosting a family safe class at 6 30 p.m and that is class for the community it's a class for for you brian to be able to bring in you know your friend or family member that maybe has been hesitant to get out of the house to get you know to get into a a, a fitness facility have it be your regular gym or have it be more of a crossfit whatever whatever you know whatever that is holding this person back like the name says it itself family safe i mean it doesn't get much more welcoming than that and i you know we want to we want to reach out to our members and give them that opportunity to host you know their friend or family member and be able to award them their white belt um so that's kind of the the you know the background of what makes the backbone of what makes my my studio so strong is is that family atmosphere that we have uh but sorry to cut the to cut to the to the chase in your question so yeah we've we've grown three times right now we're 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 on East New York Street, East New York Street, and Route 59 here in Fox Valley, uh, right? You know, right at the border of Aurora and Naperville. Uh, so we are at 8,000 square feet now. So we went from 1,200 to 8,000. So now we're, I think we're, you know, I have to do my research again, but we're we're the biggest Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Self Defense Academy in the area. Oh wow! How how awesome! <laughs> well, I mean, it's just great. And imagine, like, you were afraid to open up the doors for the first month, right? And here you are. Yes, it's got to be amazing. I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, it's just so great. Okay, so let's. I want to talk more about like you as a, a teacher, because I mean, it's, you're, mm-hmm. you're definitely doing this. You you have to motivate people on several levels, right? One is yes. to a show up, and b when they're on the mat to take certain risks, ah, I wouldn't say that, calculated risks, right? In such a way. Yeah. So I was wondering if you like maybe walk me through like how you motivate and then how do you give people the type of confidence to make the type of um, risks with their, I, I keep on saying the word risks, but you know, the type of moves with their body, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Calculated risk, you know, when, uh, they're not, you know, people are just used to being comfortable. You're, you're yeah. drawing them out of that comfort zone, uh, in such a way. I was wondering if you can kind of talk to me about, um, how you, your, what your approach is like that as a teacher. Yeah. 
So, I mean, so at this point, I've been in jiu-jitsu for 18 years. Um, and, you know, with that, just being, you know, uh, who I am as a person, like, I, I love, like, I can start a conversation with anybody, right? So, um, a lot of times what that, what that would make, what that would happen is on the mat, my instructor would be like, hey, Bruce, do you mind helping out, you know, do you mind helping out Billy, who's on his first week of class or his first day? Um, would you help him out with the technique or answer a question for him, you know, if, if they couldn't get to him? And that eventually turned into, hey, man, do you want to cover the kids class today? So, um, so with that being said, those 18 years of experience, we've been, I've been able to formulate um, with what works best with my student base is a, a certain techniques and technique technique variations that we that we work on throughout the year that are safer for somebody who's who's overweight somebody who's older of age or you know from for i'm assuming the people listening to this you know the younger the younger uh student athlete um you know that uh that is still fast explosive and has you know has all those accolades that maybe somebody older doesn't have um, so, we, you know, our program embodies all that. Uh, so I can, you know, I want to keep you motivated. So if you are my average student in their 30s that maybe hasn't been active for the past couple of years is maybe, you know, put on a couple pounds, maybe doing a straight sit up forward isn't going to be the best movement for you. There's variations that you can do that if that person can do that, that technique, that, you know, that athletic movement, there's a better chance of that showing up the next day, right? So that's how that's how my academy is set up. Um, you know, we touch a lot on self defense, on how to how to block, how to defend the punch, how to be able to close a distance. Uh, for that, you know, be, for somebody to be able to do that and accomplish that, gives them a lot of confidence um, to take on their day to day. Yeah, that's I, I I love that, and you know, I guess the other you know maybe an extension of that is that you know you must see you you talked about the range of student that shows up uh in this right so that you yeah. have you have the young you have the old you have some that are in all various different states of fitness um and i was wondering if you can comment on like that that fine balance between someone who shows up with talent and then when does i imagine like at some point jujitsu bears where talent can get you so far versus yeah. where technique get, brings you mm -hmm. beyond that. I, like, I wonder if you can comment on that. No, absolutely. So like the thing about jujitsu is one of the only sports that I've seen that like you can be a very athletic gifted individual and on the mat, like if you don't know the technique, like it's just, it's going to show, right? Because how we, how we are built, we are wired throughout the years is we're wired to if some you know if the danger is coming from my right side i'm going to turn towards my left side which essentially what that movement would do is i'm going to be giving up my back right and then that's where the choke would fall into place so i have to retrain my athlete my student my member to do the opposite of that so right. for example if somebody's coming to attack from my right side we have to turn towards that direction to face that challenge head on. Um, same, you know, another common position in jiu-jitsu is the mount. So if you look at it from a self-defense perspective, if you if, if you if somebody takes you to the ground and they they're able to 
get on top of you, right? Sit on your chest, essentially. We are wired to push away with our arms. So that, so if we do that in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, we're giving our attacker the armbar, right? So I have to rewire this athlete, that this person, to frame, to elbow escape, to bridge, right? And these aren't movements that we do on a day-to-day. I mean, even just the way that we get up off the ground is very, is very, is, is has a lot of red flags in it, right? Um, so what's nice with somebody who's a natural athlete is they, they will absorb the information a lot faster. Um, but with that being said, it's, you know, there's there's really very few people, I think, throughout the years that you can say, oh, this person is, is, is a natural, you know, right out of the, right out of the first month of training. Um, but those do that, those people that do stick with it, that are natural athletes can really, um, you know, can, can really, you know, 10x their results if they put in the effort. But with that being said, you know, I do have students that come in that have never done anything athletic in their entire life. And they, you know, but what they do have is work ethic. Mm-hmm. And those people, you know, really set new standards in jujitsu. Um, you know, there's a there's a popular meme out there, and uh, and it's like, who's the guy to be worried about, right? And on top, you see these big muscle builder guys, and then the bottom um, is uh, you know the the main uh, one of the characters from The Hobbit riding a scooter, and he's like, this is the <laughs> in Brazilian jiu jitsu, this is a real threat, and it's essentially yeah. the scrawny nerdy guy that is yeah. that has been through some ups and downs throughout life, so a challenge like you know somebody trying to choke you isn't a big deal to them right so that those guys will will most likely come i mean you know i have a student he's from uh he's from um he's he's from uh from china you know and um he's very soft-spoken uh gentleman comes into you know he's been training with me for a year and a half um and and mostly would, would only attend beginners classes right he would he would He's in, his, he's in his early 20s, but he'd only attend beginner's classes, but like I said, very quiet, learning the language. So definitely jujitsu has helped him build his confidence um, along the way. But um, the reason I bring him up is because he's never done anything out of the ordinary other than just show up to class. And then um, I got to, you know, his technique was really starting to show. So I, I awarded him his blue belt. And I think that was just like, kind of like the spark that set everything off because all of a sudden, you know, he started coming to more advanced classes and he started to stay around for the advanced training, which is the sparring. And, and he was catching a lot of people off guard and, and people were like, hey, man, who, who's what's his name again? You know, and he's not much. I mean, he's smaller than me, actually. Um, and he's taken on some, you know, some pretty tough, big challenges on the Mac guys that have been on for many, many years. Um, and again, when he came in there, you know, he didn't he didn't have didn't have any accolades that you would give to your you know to your star player but um i think he's definitely earned them throughout time that he spent with us or is spending with us yeah actually that was gonna be one of my next questions was like um what is the belt sequence and then for you which was 
the tougher climb between belts. Like, I mean, I, you said it, it goes from brown to black, but yeah. I've also, I, th- I don't know why I think I've heard that actually it was actually getting to purple from blue. I, I, that one that's actually, there's one that's actually mm-hmm. ironically maybe harder than the one you would think to get from brown to black. Maybe I'm, I'm, uh, I'm yeah. misremembering that, but uh, uh, yeah, what's the sequence and w- what was for you like the one that was like the 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 hardest hurdle to, uh, to get across? Yeah, so um, man, I think, you know, I ask this question to a lot of people, you know, a lot of my students, and this is kind of going back to, to the event that we're holding on Friday. I asked them, you know, what, you know, asking what would the most important belt for them be? And then, uh, you know, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I would say it, it was my purple belt because that was when I decided that, hey, I'm halfway through. I, I have to, you know, finish the marathon. We're getting to the end, right? Yeah. But essentially, I'm like, what about your white belt? You know, wasn't that the toughest one to earn? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, it was, you know, I, I got it, I got it in the mail when my uniform showed up. And I'm like, I'm like, look at it from the perspective of how long did it take you, Brian, to earn your white belt, right? Yeah. So a lot of people I ask that question to are completely confused. And I'm like, well, I'm like, well, how, you know, how old are you today? I'm like, oh, I'm 26, right? And I'm like, Okay, and you came in, you were how old? Oh, I was 24. Right. I'm like, so it took you 24 years to make to make that to make that decision that hey, today is my day that I'm gonna start Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that's essentially the first day that you earn your white belt. So for me, white belt was very fun and uh, had its challenges in its own just because it was like it was like almost like a rediscovery of who I was, right? Um, so just being able to have that belt, I was very proud of. Um and especially like that moment where you go from you start now beating blue belts, which is the next level up. You're like, wait a minute. Like, this is kind of like that was like a big turning point for me where I'm like, man, I, I'm really learning this stuff. I can maybe really, you know, I could really do this. And it was just like I said, another another dose of confidence that was instilled in me. Um, so I would say by far my white belt was my most rewarding one at the same time, the most challenging um uh, a tough like a, a close second was my purple belt only because it was a belt that i spent four and a half years at right and i mean let me yeah. think about you know throughout your lifetime how many how many activities hobbies have you had that you've done consistently for four and a half years that was four and a half years plus two years at blue belt and two years at white belt almost two years at white belt um so that was a long journey. And, you know, at one point I'm like, you know, what, what, what the purple, the reason the purple belt is a close second to my white belt is because it taught me a lot of important, important life lessons, essentially. Right. Cause I stopped caring about the stripes. I stopped caring about, you know, the, 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 you know, the people getting promoted around me. I stopped caring about, um, a lot of things that were kind of just extra noise right and that weren't weren't really providing me much value like you know so what if my buddy you know got his brown belt and i was still a purple belt right i was still going to be able to train with him if anything he had more to lose because now he's going to get tapped out by a purple belt right (laughs) Um, (laughs) so that's kind of how i looked and i had a lot of fun with it you know i mean that was a belt where being a purple belt it's like you have a good amount of knowledge at this point to start really uh, piecing together a nice game that benefits you so um you know if a black belt walked into the academy like i was like you know 
with all due respect, can I, can I roll with this gentleman, right? And and it was to test my skill. And, you know, when I would come out on top, you know, whatever happens on the practice mat stays on the practice mat. But at the end of the day, it felt really good. And it was, you know, it, it, it was that belt that like kind of let me know, like, hey, you know, the belt's not what doesn't, you know, the belt color around my waist doesn't really matter as much as, you know, the knowledge that's in my head. That's where the real belt color really stands. So, um, you know, the, my instructor's opinion on where I should be, which I was rightfully in the right spot right as a purple belt but in my mind you know i was developing something greater um so i give a lot you know and, and that that in itself was was probably one of the biggest lessons and you know something that i like to share with my students a lot of times um that, yeah, that is interesting that you know that uh what does it say about jujitsu that you could not ascend belts for four years but still find yourself so enamored with the journey uh mm -hmm. to get there and not in really like you said kind of uh tuck away ego yeah uh, still continue to work inwardly i think that's such a cool uh way of looking at it Ugh, yeah. that's so neat wow and that's and that's kind of one of the reasons why you hear that you probably saw from a meme or a rumor where it says blue to purple belt is is the toughest transition because for the average person you get to you go from white to blue belt and it's very rewarding and then after that it's just like they kind of lose sight of the real goal right yeah. because the concern of what belt is around their waist or what color so they're like oh man it's blue it took me this much effort and this much this many hours on the mat to get here now it's going to take me this much more to get to the next one right where, where if that blue belt just completely forgets about the belt and just focuses on the relationships that they have on the mat you know there's their friends that come in and the conversations that they have with their friends, their instructor, the environment, which is something that I always try to promote, you know, um, having the, you know, a nice, safe, fun, energetic uh, place to, to spend your time at. Um, you know, if you focus on those type of things and, you know, even on, you know, challenging yourself on getting better at takedowns, getting better at sweeps, getting better at certain submissions, before you know it, man, you're at the next level. So, uh, I mean, if there's any practitioners out there listening, like that's what I would say is, you know, forget about the bell color, worry about the, you know, and focus on the experiences. That's so great. Would you, what, what's a typical training regiments where like how frequently would a student who wants to just kind of learn like is are they are they coming into the school let's say uh twice a week three times what's what's the yeah. frequency so and i you know I, I really try to listen to my students and see what their what their what their needs and their wants are because you know if i if i know somebody's coming in with this hectic schedule right they have a family, they have a mortgage, they have, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, responsibilities on their plate. Like, it would be foolish for me to force a student to be like, dude, you have to be here five days a week, or, you know, you're wasting your time. That's definitely not it. I have, I have students um, that throughout, the, you know, and this is far in between. Most students, you know, to answer your question, um, train about two to three days a week, some four, um, and then you get the guys that want to compete or some guys who just live the lifestyle and it's just like, that's just who they are. And I mean, you'll see them in there five days, five, six days a week. Oh. Um, doesn't mean you have to do that, but there's some guys that do, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I, I mean, some of my students that, that have really, you know, persevered with the day-to-day -day tasks and challenges and they're like, Hey, you know, 
with my with my work schedule and my family life. I can only do one day a week. And I set that person down. And I said, okay, not a problem with that. But you have you have to make this promise to yourself that that one day a week it's not negotiable. You show up. Yeah. You're here. And um, you know, it's so easy to lie to yourself and not show up that one time, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I think we all have fallen into that trap. You're so right. And I have, I have, like for example, I have a student who he's now a purple belt with me, and throughout our years, he shows up one day a week. He does his one day. He understands the challenges that come along with only training one day a week because you never really get the chance to review the material. Like it's something that somebody that comes in at least twice, right? But um, they show up, they put in the work, they're good, they're a good person to, to the training partners, you know, they're respectful to the instructors and the coaches. They really take the heart, you know, the lesson of the day. Um, and they and you know, it shows in their technique and in their character. Bruce, this has been phenomenal. This interview, you've given us so many like uh nuggets of wisdom along the way, but I, I like to uh, conclude the interview with you know the the real question, which is, what tips for success would you give current Wildcats? Just consistency, guys. Find something that you feel can can give back to you as a person and to your lifestyle. And you know, like I said, on the rainy days, sunny days, uh, you know, sleepy days, you name it. Like you show up even on the days where you're questioning yourself, show up and you will start to break away from the pack. Perfect. Bruce, this was this just uh, uh, so, so great. And uh, thank you. I, I uh, this was a, a very uh, thought provoking and philosophical and uh, and all parts about this, but this is a really uh, great business that you've seen grow so exponentially and, uh, and all the uh, great learning that you've given uh, your students. This has been great. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be part of this. I'm glad to get back to the community. I, you know, I grew up my entire life in West Chicago and I spent some of the best years in that high school. And, and essentially some of the mentors that I met there are the people and the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So um, again, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you to everybody that's influenced me at, at West Chicago and um, looking forward to visiting sometime. Ah, okay. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and spread the word about We Go Places by sharing our interviews with other Wildcats. If you want to search past episodes or stay current, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere where you can get your podcasts. Just search We Go Places. You can follow WeGo Places on our Facebook page as well, and also Twitter at WeGo Places Podcast. And if you know a former Wildcat who would be a great guest, send me a direct message on Facebook, Twitter, or by school email at at bturnbow at d94.org. B-T-U-R-N-B-A-U-G-H at d94.org. 